joining us tonight. Welcome to School Psych Podcast. We are back after uh, we're back for a new school year and um, just kind of getting into the groove. We were talking about it's, it's like riding a bike. We'll be fine. We'll be good. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out as we go along. We don't have a guest tonight, but we thought we would just um, chat a little bit about what the school year is looking like. I, th I feel like since COVID hit, every school year, every month is kind of a different animal and, and different things. And now we've got staffing shortages and bus shortages and all sorts of um, wacky things going on in the schools. But we definitely want to hear from everybody live. So please, um, you know, participate. And if you have any particular topics and things that you would like us to talk about and hit on, um, that would be great too. But we're just kind of going to catch up a little bit and see what everybody's been up to. But my name is Rachel. I'm a school psychologist in Maryland. I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca who's going to introduce who's going to introduce herself and talk about how to participate tonight Rebecca Hello everybody I am Rebecca and I am a school psychologist in the state of Florida which is the first time I have said that I am um I've just moved this summer to Florida and I'm working as a consultant um, for my former employer in Connecticut, but I am actually back to school. So I'm a school psychologist and a psychology trainee at Nova Southeastern uh, University here in South Florida. Um, I am so excited to uh, be talking with you tonight about a new school year and new horizons for all of us. If you are watching us live, please participate by uh, logging into your YouTube account and just chiming in in the chat alongside the video. We can also look for notifications on either of our Facebook pages. So you can message us in messages on School Psych, Your School Psychologist, or the School Psych Podcast page, or on Twitter. If you want to tweet at us, please tweet um, at at podcast site and use the hashtag psyched podcast. I'll be looking for notifications and whether you're watching live or watching later in the school year or the week, um, feel free to chime in. Let us know, especially we have some, uh, the next few episodes um, packed with amazing guests, but we have a whole school year. So let us know topics that you might be interested in, or if you, we've gotten before in the past, great guest suggestions from our um, listeners and viewers. So if you have a professor that you really admired that might want to come on and teach us a thing or two, or um, just a, a book that you're reading that you really like the authors and know how we could contact them, please let us know. We want to know what topics you're interested in, what you'd like to hear more about, and who you'd like us to ask on to the podcast. And now I'll hand it over to Eric to introduce himself. Thanks, Rebecca. And um, welcome, everyone. Welcome back to a new school year and a new podcast season. Um, typically, I'm introducing our guests, but we are the guests and you are the guests. So we want to hear from you this evening. And if you're not listening live, if you're listening later on after the broadcast, you can still participate. So send us information, you know, chime in on our social media. We'd love to continue the conversation. So um, I am Eric and I am a school psychologist in the state of Connecticut and uh, not in Florida. <laughs> no, it's just different to hear our former Connecticut colleagues now in Florida. So, but Florida's um, a better off uh, place having Rebecca down there. So um, I'm excited just to, to talk this evening, I guess, about 
topics that um, are near and dear to us as school psychologists. I don't believe my own personal belief. I don't believe we're quite post pandemic. Um, I think we're still going to see surges and I think COVID is going to be with us. Um, so we're still dealing with things um, as we perhaps as we were maybe not as intensely as we were a couple years ago, but um, shortages, big thing, as uh, Rachel mentioned. So um, I'd love to talk about that and our upcoming season and maybe uh, if anyone's listening live, how they're doing, you know, sort of emotional thermometer in the, if you've been there for a couple of weeks already, um, I think most of us have probably been in school for two or three weeks. So um, would love to hear how everyone's doing too. So. Yeah. Um, as we were preparing for this episode and thinking about, you know, kind of topics we wanted to touch upon as we start this, not, quite post-pandemic school year. Um, I was going through all of the episodes that we've had this far, and I can't believe, thank you to schoolpsych.com, Tim, for uh, giving us that awesome, kind shout out today. I really didn't recognize that it was our 150th episode um, until, until you said that. And so looking over all the episodes was quite, um, was just, it's just amazing to me. We've had such fantastic guests and I'm so grateful to all of you out there, viewers and, um, and guests and, you know, our, our professor friends and our school psychologist friends who have come on and, and our non our clinical psychology friends and others who have come on. But, um, what Eric said about the shortages, um, and also related to shortages is over the past few years, just, our um, workloads, <laughs> you know, I think that that when I looked quickly through the last couple of years uh, of our episodes, I could almost hear it in our voices, not ours personally, even only, but the guests and the questions, the episodes during the pandemic were um, like a journal of school psyching in pandemic times. And it's really cool to go back and, and hear what was on our mind about, you know, how are we going to figure this out? What are we going to do about testing? Um, what about, you know, uh, academic slide and regression and, and anxiety and burnout and self-care, all these really important topics in our field. They're, I think that they're, um, still with us now and still important to talk about like how do we make sure that we're all okay that we have what we need so that we can help our students and communities be okay so i'm wondering for those of you out there um tuning in tonight just kind of a quick check-in how are you feeling like even on a one to ten if ten is like fully recharged i had a great summer i took care of myself i'm ready for the school year and one is i don't know how i'm going to get through tomorrow <laughs> um you know in terms of like just how i'm feeling about work and all the demands how are you feeling just throw a one to ten and i'm just curious um and i'll offer you know because of my move and like I mean, I think a change is um, a great stressor, but it's also a great way to sort of reinvent <laughs> your your stress and your and yourself. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm about like a seven and a half. 
Uh, I see we've got a two, and I'm really sad to see that. Um, that's that's a lot. I'm just gonna take a minute and feel that with you, Serena. That's a lot. It's been it's been a lot. Um, what what about you, Rachel and Eric? How are you guys feeling going into the year? As you were saying that, I was kind of thinking a seven. Um, I definitely I feel like the teachers in my district are hurt a lot harder, hit a lot harder with the staffing. Um, my district's kind of like, ah, eh, we're over COVID. Like there's still some people wearing masks, myself included. Um, but most people aren't. And, but where we're really feeling it, um, and we're not, we don't seem to be tracking cases or anything of that nature. So it's really business as usual where I'm at. Um, but yeah, we're really feeling it with the staffing shortages. I want to say last I knew we were down like, um, over 300, um, positions that needed to be filled of teachers and then um, a, a lot of uh, TAs and, and assistant you know positions and things like that support staff and so that's been hard and that's been uh, on my end I, I've seen it and I feel bad for it because I feel like I can't really help I can't go and you know I have other things to do I can't be teaching a class I can't um, you know, I see the behavior problems and I help as, as much as I can, but I can't stay in a classroom all day long and just devote myself to working with one child because there's, there's so many <laughs> things going on, especially we've had a lot of, um, kindergartners and preschoolers come in that are, that are very needy. And I think that all of our kids have been hit hard, um, with the socialization aspect, a lot of these kids coming in, you know, COVID, they haven't been able to be in, um, kind of a structured type of setting, um, on the plus side because so many, so they've pulled a lot of support staff to go and cover classes. So um, we had, um, which is unfortunate, we've had, you know, resource teachers that help with, with paperwork and, and um, help our support our special education staff as far as, you know, behavior problems and what to do. And, and if, you know, if a child needs to be moved to a different location for a more restrictive or less restrictive setting. Um, and so all those positions have gone away. They've just scattered them into the district to cover algebra or to cover, you know, whatever for, for at least they signed on for like six weeks of, of teaching a class. They've just been relocated, um, which is really hard. On the plus side, though, I, you know, because of that void, I've put myself out there a little bit more and have gone into classrooms, whereas normally people would reach out to these support teachers for for help and guidance with with dealing with difficult problems and so in, in their absence i've said okay well i'm there like let, let's do this together and so i've um you know have had some success with with some students who came in the first couple of days and it was just really really difficult and then we, we do all our work our school psych magic and we do our behavior modification we get the reinforcers in and we figure out the function of behavior and so i'm just in there like doing all those things and, and modeling it for the teachers and then kind of taking a step back and letting the teachers do it and so that's been kind of rewarding to me so i think that um yeah like i said i think that the teachers are are way more um hit with some of this but it's it's been refreshing in some ways to me because it's gotten me out of kind of the box that i had been put into um and out of uh out of what my normal thing might might have been if that makes sense but i don't know eric what about what about you <laughs> uh, i would say i'm probably a seven as well um i think I had a lot of trepidation going into the school year. Uh, back in August, I was just like not ready for summer to end and feeling 
I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I would call it dread, but just feeling like, oh man, it's going to be hard. Just anticipating that it would be difficult. Um, and because the last couple of years have been, you know, and, and I think Rebecca said, you know, October felt like March um, in terms of busyness. And I would say, yes, uh, last year, especially. Um, but it's, it's, we're off to a better start, I think. And I agree, Rachel, I'm in a similar boat. Uh, we are down staff um, from special ed teachers to paraprofessionals to bus drivers. Um, and that's impacting everyone. It's impacting when kids get to school and um, impacting when kids get picked up because staff needs to stay with them after school. Um, and, uh, you know, we have buses doing double runs, which means, you know, they're going to be 30, 40 minutes behind uh, schedule. Um, but really, I think on, you know, on a positive note, we're open and we're trying to do business as best we can, um, trying to get kids settled. I think the social and emotional learning piece and behavior piece is huge. Um, and so I think a lot of kids are coming back to school, perhaps having been unsettled for the last couple of years or or brand new to kindergarten, having had no experience uh, preschool or structured experience. Um, so it's, um, you know, it's been busy, <laughs> I will say, but not as bad as I anticipated, which is, is good. Um, but yeah, lots of helping with behavior, um, helping starting to collect data and support behavior plans, that sort of thing. Um, and with evals, um, already kind of left over from last year uh, or evals that came at the end of last year or that perhaps came in over the summer. Um, so we have a, a running list already. You mentioned the busing and that that's another huge one. Every, every day my district puts out this huge long list of buses that are just not running. And I learned last year because we had a similar you know, situation last year that, that busing is a courtesy, I've been told. Um, and I had assumed that that was mm. kind of an obligation of the district to provide busing, but um, they've made it clear that it is not their duty, it's a courtesy. And you're just out of luck if you don't have a bus. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, recently on Facebook, I shared an article from Chalkbeat that um, in New York City, 41%, I think, I've got to gotta check the article, 41% um, of kids have, were chronically absent last year. And, you know, I think in New York, it's not about busing. There's other kinds of public transportation that kids can use. But... Um, but I am sure that busing doesn't help with the absenteeism, you know, the busing problems and the bus driver shortages. And I just, you know, remember when, when, as a, as a field, as a profession, when we were talking about um, when we were all, you know, remote um, school psyching and remote learning and teaching that we were talking about, what is going to be the new normal? How do we, we don't want to go back to normal because normal was kind of broken anyway. And so we wanted to think about like, this is sort of forced education reform in some ways. And yet here we are in a different situation that we're not out of it. Um, in many ways, it's improved in terms of like schools are open and, you know, ready for students most for the most part yet. I don't see that um, districts have made any dramatic changes. It still feels to me like 
we're still trying to get back to normal. And I think maybe, I wonder if that's, you know, not a good solution that we really should be looking to make some big changes in the way we do things. And I think there's some conversations across the country about four day school um, weeks and, um, you know, sort of alternative plans like that. But I don't know, have you heard of any um, innovative ways to address getting children their free and appropriate public education? Um, I know that my district, um, I know that one of my schools has a virtual speech path. So I, I'm, that's kind of the first I've heard of it, but I'm wondering if the, you know, the virtual thing, uh, the, the whole uh, virtual instruction has, you know, we've gotten a little bit of a comfort with that or more at least than, than before the pandemic hit. And I'm wondering if we'll see more missed positions covered through virtual therapists, virtual teachers. Um, my, my kids, uh, their Spanish teacher, they, did, they couldn't fill that position. And so somebody from Colombia zooms in once a week to the class and, and teaches them Spanish. And I thought that that was um, kind of cool. So yeah, I, I, I wonder if that's gonna be, if we'll see more of that. Um, and if anybody's watching from kind of more rural districts that have uh, even more of a hard time getting therapists and, and teachers out there, I'm wondering if, if you are all seeing that type of thing. I don't know. But other than uh, that, I mean, I haven't, I've seen the news about the, the four day a week thing and I've seen discussions on that. My district has changed start times. That's the new big thing this year too, um, to be more aligned with developmental you know, things. Because my elementary kids, they're up at six anyway. So I feel like, yeah, they might as well go to school early. It's been hard for me. <laughs> that was one of the things that I liked being in an elementary position is that you know I wouldn't have to be to, to work until 8.15 or so. And now I need to be at work at 7.10 and <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> But right. This, the start times, um, I think, make sense in terms of um, kids' circadian rhythms and, and optimal times for them um, to, to be able to get the sleep that they need and be able to, you know, be sort of available for learning. But they don't work super well with like parents' jobs and parents' work schedules. And, you know, um, so that's really tricky. And I think that that um, is one of those things too. While the science may say it's best for kids to, to have start times according to their um, sleep schedule, when um, parents aren't able to get them to school because they have to leave for work or, and then there's no buses. I think it's differentially um, negatively impactful for working parents. And then, you know, um, it was just, just another, you know, another level of unfairness for, for parents who, um, who don't have the, luxury of, you know, changing their schedules to make sure the kids get to school at their good start time. So it's a very complicated um, situation. I personally think that, you know, workplaces should adjust to the kids, you know, <laughs> and that because, you know, if the kids are going to be running the world pretty soon, we need to make sure that we prioritize their educations um, so that they can take over these companies that are making these 
terrible schedules for the parents. <laughs> That's such a good point. And I, I, I have a couple friends who now have virtual options for working at home type of things. I have a friend who, you know, she has a baby at home and she works from home now when that wasn't a thing before. So I'm hopeful that, you know, companies have realized that, oh, if you can be, if you can be just as productive at home, like, you know, maybe adjusting hours to, to accommodate childcare or having virtual work options. School sites in my district are advocating for one day a month working at home virtually um, to, to do paperwork and catch up on things so that, you know, you could actually write your reports without people knocking on your door <laughs> coming to see you. But I think that's such a good point. I and mean, parents have been just beat up this whole pandemic, this whole school shutting down. Like I can't imagine, and I've been so shielded from it being in the schools myself. So I've been home with them. So that was never a problem for me, but gosh, I mean, huge, huge issue. <laughs> Rachel Serena asked about uh, the virtual snow days. Are all students set up with technology at home just in case? Yeah, yeah, that's what um, we've been told. So we yeah, we have an option now that if it's a snow day that they could call it a virtual day. Um, there's been talk that if it's like a big giant blizzard and there's, you know, kids want to go outside and do that, that that might be called a snow day, but more so for like, you know, those type of days where they call it a snow day and ends up not being a snow day or it's just like a little bit of rain or like that type of thing. Um, that instead of using those days and eating into our summertime, um, doing that. So I think that that's good. But yeah, my district, they've been, I mean, over the pandemic, that was one of their things. They got Chromebooks for every student. And so um, I imagine that if there's something in the forecast, students would be encouraged to, you know, take your take your Chromebooks home, charge them up, make sure you have them type of thing. They've done that before when um, they've been mindful of COVID numbers. And so certain schools being closed, they had certain metrics for, you know, after so many outbreaks, the school needs to shut down for the health department last year. I don't think this is at all the case this year. Um, but so they would look at those metrics and then say, okay, everybody, we're really close. So let's just all take our Chromebooks and laptops home tonight, just in case you don't come back. So I imagine it'll be something like that. Um, yeah. And then I'm seeing in the chat um, that school bus time, uh, school start times are based on the bus schedules. And that has historically what's been in my district. And this year is kind of the big shift. And um, they put it off for a while. There was a big push for it. And, and now they kind of just took the plunge. Um, I don't think it helped the, the busing situation. I think that it did probably make the busing more difficult to schedule. But, you know, it is what it is. Oh, yeah. Melissa mentioned that uh, she likes the idea of a four-day week. Some school sites are fortunate to have something similar and use one day for report writing. Yeah, that would, that would be. And I wonder how much, how much autonomy a school site might have in saying, in like blocking out time. Um, and I, I would imagine that people would say, we don't have any autonomy because we have, you know, the deadlines and the, you know, our admin telling us we need to get things done. But, but what, what if school psychs were to say in order, you know, to do right by students and do good work, I really need this some X amount of time. And so it just makes more sense to block it out of, you know, a certain day or a certain a couple of hours across the week or whatever um 
I wonder if we couldn't kind of advocate for ourselves in for ourselves in that way. One of the classes that I'm taking as a graduate student is um, ethics, ethics and professional issues. And um, I've ha had that class in my school psych program. Um, but um, having it again after having worked in the field is really interesting. And, you know, if you remember, if you all remember from your ethics class, you talk a lot about ethical dilemmas and you talk about, you know, um, the 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 the, the aspirational ethics in the NASP ethics code or the APA ethics code, and then um, the principles that are sort of more enforceable. And, and as school psychologists, we come up against a lot of them all the time, you know, whether it be like you have an outdated test and, you, you know, the school district doesn't have money to to buy the new one right away. Like, what do you do? You know, or you run out of protocols and you know you're not supposed to make, you can't make photocopies. What do you do? Like, so we come up against a lot of them all the time. And what our obligation, um, our ethical obligation is to advocate and just say, you know what, superintendent, I get it. There are budget problems, but I can't give this test. It, it, it's outdated and it's not going to give me, you know, valid information on this child. And so a better use of my time in order to support this kiddo would be to do X, Y, and Z instead. Right. And so we have, we're in that position a lot. So I wonder how much more we could do for ourselves on behalf of our students in terms of taking time for report writing or, um, mitigating our own senses of overwhelm and burnout. Um, and uh, the future, I just see the future, Dr. Kumis. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know what's so funny, actually? On Twitter, I'm Becca Kamiz. This is a total aside. But um, because I, the, re the only reason I started Twitter is because my children were about to become teenagers. And I was like, I've got to figure out all the social media before they want it. And I just put Becca Kamiz because at the time I didn't know anything about it. I was like, I'm not going to use my real name. And, <laughs> and it's like a nickname. It's my husband's obviously name, last name. And um, he was called Kamiz growing up. Um, but it kind of sticks. And now sometimes people write to me and they're like, hello, Mrs. Kamiz. And it's just funny. <laughs> it's just very funny. It's actually Kamizio, but... Um, I guess a lot of Italian Americans drop the vowels at, when they do nicknames. Um, anyway, that was not my point of my story, but the ethics class <laughs> and, and advocating. Um, I think that we should, we should, because it, it's the things that are better for us and our well-being and our mental health are also better for our our work and our students and our teachers and our and their family and the kids' family. So. I don't know, maybe we need to support each other in doing more of that. Yeah, I like what you said about a better use of your time. And I think we all need to think about that because I mean, even as far as like sectioning off report writing time, I would challenge that, you know, is report writing always the best use of our time? Um, in that I, I think there are things that we can do to reduce the length of our reports. I am I'm terrible myself. I write this huge giant background 
history on each kid. And I like kick myself each time because I'm like, does it really matter? This, all these little tiny details. Like I need to be better at summarizing. Like I need to be more efficient at getting to like the, the take home message because let's face it, nobody <laughs> reads our reports anyways, you know, especially if they're like 20 pages long. And so I'm, I'm trying, I, it's a work in progress, but to, you know, I'd rather, yeah, teachers come and knock on my door, catch me in the hallway and say, oh, you know, can you help me with this? Can you, can I get your opinion on that? I, that to me is a better use of my time than like hiding in my office and writing reports. And so if it comes down to like, you know, writing the, the longest, most beautiful evaluation or, you know, helping the kid down in the kindergarten classroom that's having a fit, like it, it makes more sense. But I totally get that we're we're subject to timelines and deadlines and sometimes lawyers and advocates and, and things like that. So it's kind of a fine line, but yeah, I liked when you said that. Yeah. I, I, to your point, Rachel, I totally agree. And unfortunately I find that outside folks, lawyers and advocates often argue with us about whether or not an evaluation was comprehensive or thorough enough or uh, come down on the school um, if we don't write these 30 page reports or do a cognitive every single time for every referral question, uh, whether a cognitive is necessary. Um, and I find that when we get to our secondary levels, um, they come back to me because I'm the, the, the district school neuropsych evaluator. Um, so I get, oh, this wasn't a comprehensive eval, you know, and always the, the advocate or the lawyer uh, wants a wants a cognitive and you know all of this stuff but if the social history is in the record why should we rewrite it in our report you know if if two cognitives have been done and they're consistent and the child does not look id do we need to do another one so you know these ethical dilemmas right and and what are we spending our time doing then um my time is far better used you know meeting with children and teachers and and parents um, but I'm probably expected to write long reports on a lot of testing and it's not my district's fault. I think this is, this is the state of the field, um, currently. For sure. Um, and then this year, um, typically psychs haven't had like duties at, in my district, or at least that's not like the norm. Um, as far as arrival duty, dismissal duty, lunch duty, all the all those things, um, and we try and be kind of, um, and I know that some psychs like to do that because you feel like you know you're in the cafeteria, you're you're a person, you're visible, the students get to know you. Like I and I get that. I myself have shied away from duties because <laughs> I'm usually like running around anyways to get my all those things done, and so um, you know having to be at a certain point. At a certain place at a certain time is just difficult um just on a normal basis but um you know so so normally psychs for the most part weren't doing duties and kind of the reasoning was that and i've been told by this is like the past coordinator before before our current one that you know you you go to school and you have an expertise and we we pay you to use that expertise we don't pay you to you know, be at dismissal duty. And I know that that might be controversial. Some people, well, you're in the school, it's, you know, you're part of the community, you need to chip, chip in and, and things. And I get that um, as well. But this year, yeah, an email went out and said, 
So if you're asked, if everybody's asked to do duty, like you should probably think about doing that just because of the state that we're all in right now that everybody does need to pitch in. And um, so I get that. Nobody's asked me yet. So I'm just like under the radar hiding, but I know of other sites that are, that are doing lunch duty and dismissal duty and all that stuff. And so I'm just kind of like sneaking around, like, don't look at me. <laughs> do you have a separate union for uh, service providers versus no, we're all we're all the same union. And so in like the contract, there is a certain number of it's like 120 minutes a week or something that we could be asked to do. So I, I'm definitely fair game. I could definitely be asked to do a duty. Um, but historically, like they haven't asked me yet, I think just because historically, I've been a little bit more off limits because we've pushed back a little bit about that. But um I feel like my time is coming. They're gonna, uh, they're gonna see me one day and be like, "Wait, Rachel's not doing anything right now. Let's let's put her on the car line." Whoa, seven years of duty. <laughs> I see. Serena has a good point. That the downside is, uh, you know, nobody nobody sub covers for us, right? And so people are left without coverage. Yeah, absolutely. We do duties in my district. So, um, yeah, if I'm not at the bus door on Tuesday. Someone needs to be at the bus store on Tuesday. Yeah. I think that part of it is because I'm at two different schools. Like, I don't know how they manage that with you, Eric, because I know you're all over the place, but I, I've always thought that because I'm at two different schools, like I'm too difficult to schedule. <laughs> Maybe they don't have to, you know, sometimes I'm at meetings and off campus and whatnot. And so they're just like, oh, we could put Rachel in the schedule, but then it's, she's not going to be there on certain days anyway. So it'll be more of a pain. <laughs> That's a good point. I, I am, um, because I am district wide, I do have a home base two days a week. And on those two days, I do have duties. Um, on my district wide days, I think the contract language says certain duties have been fulfilled on those days um, because it's just too difficult, as you said, Rachel. There's no way to, you know, go. I might be in a high school, I might be in a middle school to go back to another school, you know, to cover the bus door is, is uh, unrealistic. So especially if I'm in an IEP meeting or a crisis or something. So but uh, Rebecca, I'm wondering, um, you talked a little bit about grad school, can you tell us a little bit more about maybe some of the classes that you're taking, what you're thinking, like how, how is that going back to school? And, and I'm just wondering too, for people that are kind of on the fence or thinking, oh, maybe I'll go back to school, like, oh, you know, if, if that would be informative for them. So I want to hear. Sure. Well, um, because it's thankfully an APA accredited program, I, not very thankfully, have to retake a lot of classes. It's different though. I'm, I'm getting uh, my doctorate in clinical psychology. So it is different. Although a lot of the classes are, you know, pretty much the same as the classes I took for my specialist level school psych um, masters. Um, but because they're, they're over six years old. So um, at first I thought that, you know, that would be just something I just had to get it over with, that it would be really easy and like I'd just sail through and it'd be fine because it's two years of coursework and then three years basically of practical experience. Um, 
of work experience. So I thought, okay, for two years, I'll just suck it up and I'll just, you know, be this awesome, great student because I will know everything. And <laughs> I didn't fully think that, but a little part of me did. And that's not the case at all, because um, as you all know, you can memorize Sattler, um, but then you get into the real world and some of the details fall off, you know, you kind of, you kind of forget all the things and you get into a pattern of doing things in certain ways. In fact, we uh, looked at an article, um, in assessment that, that looked at the mistakes that clinical psychologists make in cognitive assessment and, um, interns and, um, this one study found that the clin the licensed psychologists actually made more mistakes um, and mistakes in terms of like, do you give them, you know, two red blocks and two white blocks and, you know, <laughs> two mixed or do you just give them, you know, like those kind of mistakes. Or, but um, the, so the licensed uh, people made more mistakes and also um, their mistakes resulted in um, differences in uh, points uh, up to three points on a full scale IQ. So you think, okay, three points, does it really matter? But of course we know that, yeah, it kind of does. You know, these, these are um, important numbers. We take the data seriously. And so that's a big deal. And so if licensed people are making more mistakes and um, part of the assumption, I think in the article was that the reason that interns are making fewer is because they're supervised, you know, and they're, and they're paying more attention and they just read the book. So going back to the assessment class over 10 years later is actually really interesting and fun um, and awesome. And I feel like I am learning a lot. And um, so I have assessment, intellectual assessment. I have ethics. I have um, uh, uh, counseling diverse uh, clients, which is an awesome, I love that class. We're reading uh, Daryl Sue, um, his textbook. Uh, that's been really fun. Part, one of the APA requirements is that, and many of you out there who are students know this, I'm not telling you anything um, exciting, so I'm sorry about that. But um, just for those who haven't been back in school in a while, one of the requirements is you have to write this uh, paper in um, a, increasing your own self-awareness of your, not only your identity, um, what you bring to the table in terms of um, counseling relationships or professional relationships, but also any um, implicit bias that you, or explicit bias that may have been kind of handed down uh, to you through your um, upbringing. And so that was a really interesting exercise. It was just about like thinking about what were the lessons I learned growing up and, and where did I learn them? And I learned some from my family. I learned some from kind of TV and media. And, but I definitely learned these, you know, um, terrible lessons. You know, we, we're all like swimming in this soup, right, of this, this Western capitalist racist soup. <laughs> and um, so like thinking of going back and thinking about that was like a really interesting and kind of difficult and kind of sad um, exercise. So I wrote that paper, turned that in for the diversity class. Um, I have a systems of psychotherapy class where we're kind of going through a hundred years of uh, theory in a very short time, which is fun. <laughs> um, what else? I have five classes. 
Um, are they all in person or is there any like online component? They're all in person. There's no online component anymore. Um, just a shout out, a plug for Nova. It is a great program. It's really big. There's like, it's just uh, Nova Southeastern University is primarily, it started out as a graduate school only. And now it's kind of primarily, I mean, they do have undergrad too, but I think it's 70% graduate students in, you know, all different fields and 30% undergrad. So it's like, um, it's just a really great environment. They have so many opportunities for practical experience and supervision just in the neighborhood on campus and throughout through their connections in South Florida. And the professors are amazing. Um, and oh, I have a, a psychopathology, adult psychopathology class where we kind of have to memorize the DSM, which is also like, I thought, know the DSM, but who has it memorized? I mean, really? <laughs> so anyway, uh, but it's re it's been really fun. And I had my dream jobs in, in where I was in Connecticut. And I just didn't feel like any new job I took on, especially in such a different environment. I think, you know, culturally, Connecticut and Florida are very different. I just thought I wouldn't be happy. I, it would just be, it would feel like a too big of a change. And so I may work in a school again when, someday. I love being a school psychologist. I, I may always think of myself as a school psychologist, but I wanted to expand my horizon. So I thought clinical psychology would be a good way to do that. And then I can I have the opportunity to have a private practice someday if I'd like. Um, but because of my age and stage, I'm kind of I'm in it for the process and not really even the end goal. Five years is a really long time and I don't, I don't want to think that far ahead. So I'm just really enjoying it. And, you know, as is predictable, I'm like the biggest nerd in the school <laughs> right in front. And I, I try to say it's because I can't really see well from the back, but it's mostly because I'm just a big nerd <laughs> and I, I love it. And my, my classmates are amazing. They're just the, the brightest, the most um, interesting, wonderful people, young people. <laughs> and it's just fun. So I don't know. It, I, I recognize it's such a privilege for me to be able to go back. Um, and I just feel grateful. But if if you ever think of you know, maybe I'd like to go back or study something a little different. It's scary and it's a big change, but it's it, once you've worked that, I think the work experience helps, helps me, you know, a lot. And it also, at the end of the day, if I make a mistake, the only thing that could get hurt is my GPA. <laughs> so it's fine. And, you know, so I'm, I just don't, I don't stress that much about it. It's a great way to be in school because I don't think I was completely like that the first couple of times around. So it's great going back after, after a time working. <laughs> That's awesome and better you than me. Like you make it sound so, so amazing. And like, I recognize that. But like, no, I would never, <laughs> never. I mean, Rebecca, you are like the, you are the overachiever of the group. Like you are just, you do all the things. Eric, you too, you're both, I'm the slacker. I'm the slacker. And so I would never, <laughs> just no, too much work. So good for you. <laughs> yes, we've, we've been with you at conferences. So we know 
sitting, you know, we're like, where'd Rebecca go? Seat all the way up front. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. I love it. That's what it's like. It's like a deep dive conference. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. yeah, I remember when you were talking about going back and I was just like, no, you 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 would do it anyways, like and not get the degree because you take so many like <laughs> online things, you just read like books for the fun of it. You just you do yeah, you do all that. I was like, you might as well get a degree because you're gonna be studying and learning anyways. It's just your nature. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. The eternal student. So we learn a lot from you. I think we benefit uh from uh you know from the things you you learn and study so that's fantastic um tim's asking a good question are we all going to nasp are we going to be in denver for nasp i think i am um not a hundred percent positive but uh but i think i am i i may um some of my requirements as a student are, are, are to present, you know, to do posters and things. So eventually I'd love to do that at, at an ASP conference um, somewhere, but, but maybe Denver, I'm not sure. I will say that um, I haven't really thought about it too much. Denver in what, February doesn't sound overly appealing to me. And I'm half worried that I would be snowed in in some capacity and either not get there or would not be able to leave there, which is bad. I mean, I have family in Denver too. I have cousins and my aunt is in Denver and whatnot. So like I probably should, like it would, it would be nice. But, um, and, and if both Eric and Rebecca are going, I, I would think about it a little bit more intently, but I don't know about Denver in February. That's, that's my, but not that we ever, like anytime we've gone to the conference, we never leave the conference grounds. It's not like we're outside, like frolicking or anything. We're in all the sessions locked up. So if there's a snowstorm outside, like whatever. Um, so I don't know. Are you going to be going to him? I'm, I'm hoping that, that you'll go and uh, have some fun and tweet some things so we, I can live uh, vicariously at least. Yeah, that would be great. It looks like Serena says she's going too. So we may, we may have a whole uh, group of friends there. So Melissa as well looks like. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I love NASP. And I, you know, sadly, I, I didn't go to Boston, which is right next door. Um, but still in the throes of, um, you know, of, of COVID and, and being worried about being in a crowd and um, all of that. So I didn't end up going to Boston, which I'm sort of sad about, partially because it's right next door. Um, but my very first NASP when I was a graduate student was in Boston. I think it was 1989, so a long time ago. And I presented my thesis as a uh, poster um, with my my uh, advisor there. So um, the Boston NASP had had uh, nice memories for me. I was looking forward to doing that one again, um, but it just didn't happen. Uh, but I do love that NASP now is doing virtual options as well. So um, that was great the last two years. So um, you don't miss it all if uh, you, know, you can sign up for things. And that's cool. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, like half the fun of mass but more than half the fun is like being there and meeting the people and so if i was just like sitting at my computer doing it yes. well, it, it would probably still be fun but it, it would not be the same so i don't know has 
anybody watching, have you attended uh, virtual NASP? And what, what does everybody think about that? I don't know. I definitely agree with the sentiment. I have attended virtual NASP and, you know, you miss the, um, uh, yes, I know, right. My association, Tim, thank you. Connecticut threw an amazing social in Boston. We did. Um, and uh, and my associates here in Connecticut um, are still talking about what a wonderful time that was. So um, that was a bummer to to miss that. But yeah, I miss, you know, one of the things that I love, along with getting to see some of the wonderful speakers and authors that I admire, um, is connecting with you all and connecting with, you know, not just my co-hosts, but with um, folks that we listen to and chat with and have on as guests. Um, and so I, I love that. So you can't do that virtually. Yeah, NASP is always a great place to get guests. We usually leave with like 20 emails <laughs> from presenters and it's just awesome. Um, but who knows, maybe we can um, do the same virtually or if we don't go to Denver. I don't know where the next one is, but I do think it is a little bit closer. I can't remember. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. And, and speaking of CASP, Eric, you are right now the president, correct? I am president-elect. President-elect. Okay. I will be president in July of 2023. So. Awesome. I yeah. wanted to point that out to exciting. everybody. Congratulations. Ah, thank you. It's exciting. And, and really, that, that uh, you know, we're trying to make sure that we're sending leadership to NASP. Um, I think you're right, Tim. I think it might be New Orleans, which will be amazing. Um, so, yeah, it, um, you know, they may end up helping me go financially as well, the state association. Um, I think regional leadership is now back at NASP again. And I think my obligation you know, will be to try to be a part of that, um, if not this year, certainly next year when I'm president. So, um, yeah, so it's exciting. And and certainly that's incentive to, you know, to go as well. Yeah, CASP and, and Eric Elias, they're like the little quiet engines of Connecticut School Psychology. I mean, your work on the newsletter has been like for years, tremendous. And, and I think CASP, you know, all of our um, Connecticut Association volunteers are so dedicated and hardworking and it's it's amazing. It's so, it's so much, but it's like, it's such good work, but it's so much. So I applaud you all and I'm a big fan of CASP. So <laughs> shout out Thank to my CASP. Folks. Small but mighty. You know, I, I think the hard part, and probably every state association is like this, is if we don't have a lot of people, we all wear different hats. But it, it certainly helps to um, spread the wealth a little bit, and um, you know, and and share with more people, and in, engage and involve more people in that, um, you know, in the process and in the excitement of it too. So, um, thank you, Tim. That was a nice, uh, nice sentiment as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited and really looking forward um, for advocacy for the field, for um, for kids, for school psychologists. And um, there are a lot of things I would like to advocate for changes in some of our regs. Um, and so I'm excited to participate on on that level and and hopefully see see some positive change. Um, it's exciting. 
we were, it reminds me of a conversation we had last year, Eric, about um, in Connecticut, and I bet this was true in all over, there were a lot of um, journalists wanting to reach out and talk to a school psychologist about, you know, you name it, cell phones in school, anxiety during the pandemic, school refusal. And so they would call the state association and because everyone is so busy and it, you know, it takes, it takes some thought to, to talk to a reporter, you know, like it takes some, it's, it's work. You can't just kind of shoot from the hip and say whatever is on your mind. Um, uh, we were talking about how useful it would be for the state associations to have a communications person, a person who could develop, you know, um, could use NASP position papers and just kind of develop here's how school psychologists think about this issue, or here's what research says about this issue, um, and just have some of those things available. I think that it would be not only great for the state associations, but just good for school psychology to, to kind of get our, our field out there, you know, in, in when people are wondering about something going on in education, um, they should think to, ask a school psychologist, you know, I hope that they would, but they, many don't know to. And if we could um, have that person in our state associations, I think that could be a real just boost for our profession and maybe even get some younger people to say, oh, who is that? You know, what, what is a school psychologist? And maybe that's work that I'd be interested in doing. I think that would be awesome. So if anybody wants to volunteer for CASP, I know Eric needs a communications person. <laughs> I, I'm sure Florida probably could use one too. <laughs> Thank you. I, I remember that conversation. And yeah, and who, I don't know whether, you know, the larger states like New York and, um, you know, some who have chapters, you know, New York has chapters in their association and um, whether they have those kinds of things. Um, but I know a lot of us are wearing different hats. I, I often think of the Wizard of Oz, right? Where, you know, you, you the group goes to the door and, and, you know, every time someone answers something, you know, it's the same guy with a different hat on or something. Um, that's not our case, but, you know, but many of us, you know, do wear uh, several different hats in the association. And um, we certainly love to, you know, to share that with anyone who's eager and interested. Um, it's amazing to be a part of. And, um, you know, it's a labor of love. It, it's, you know, it's busy, but it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And again, as like the slacker of the group, I'll say I am just in awe of, yeah, because um, I, again, like it takes a lot of work to, to, to be involved um, in these things. And, you know, I'm involved in like the, the Reading League chapter in my state. And I was very quickly like, oh, <laughs> like, this isn't just a, you show up and you get to complain about how terrible our reading instruction is. Like there's things that I need to do. <laughs> and um, it, it's a lot. And I've only kind of been getting through it by the fact of having a lot of people who um, are passionate about it and that can, you know, form a committee and, and work on that and form another committee and work on that. Because if it this was all just, yeah, it takes kind of a whole village. And um, so hats off to people that are able to to volunteer and, and do the state association thing and the national association and, and all that. Because it, it, I mean, it's amazing that, that NASP and all the state associations run 
primarily on volunteers. I mean, it's a, it's crazy. It's wild. Like it's impressive. I think. I just want to jump in and make a small uh, addendum to what you said, Rachel, because I don't think you're a slacker at all. In fact, we were just recently having a conversation, and I won't completely out you unless you want to talk about it, but about a pretty significant systems change that you've commanded in your school, and it's important and helpful and paving the way for some really positive change for kids. So you're not a slacker, but um, you you may not be on a state association, but that's okay. That well, thank you. That's, that's very kind. I will say that I am like passionate about like a kind of like a restricted interest type, like little tiny things. And like, I go all in on it. So yes, with them, Rebecca talking about the, the systems change is um, my, my district is my department right now is in the process of looking at how we do learning disabilities. And so I'm like, oh yeah. So I've been kind of in the, in the fray of that. And we're at, we've been kind of building up to it. And now this year we're like really um, kind of critiquing and, and maybe piloting some things and whatnot, but we're still, you know, pretty far away from, from making changes, but I'm like, yay. And so, because that's so interesting to me and that's like one of my, one of my things that I, that I like, it's, it's not work to me, but yeah, when I get into the, when I, other things I'm not, that I'm not like super into, that's, that's another story. That's where my slacker comes out. <laughs> so, but all the, all the hard stuff. <laughs> that's good stuff. And perhaps given the NASP's uh, new position statement on learning disabilities, that might be a great topic for a podcast this year. Just saying. Yes, <laughs> yes, I, I like it. Yes, and, and like you said at the beginning of the episode, Rebecca, if anybody has topics and things, and we have gotten some messages, and I apologize if I know we get some, and then sometimes they kind of get buried and we get busy. It's almost like you have to get us at the right time um, to and to get one of us to be like, ooh, and to bite on it and to go and email and, and set it up and whatnot. So um, if we, if you have sent us a message and suggested something and you haven't seen it, please re-suggest it because we, we get distracted, <laughs> but we're definitely interested. Yeah, and as I mentioned, I was going, if you go to our Google resource drive, there is a doc in there um, and I think, I think it's called um, School Psych Podcast episode video links. And it's not, we haven't, it's not totally full up to the 150th, but it's got most of the episodes in there. And I was going through them today and I noticed we, we have a nice variety of, of topics, but, but definitely let us know whether there's like anything that we touched on that you would love to hear more about. I think that, um, you know, we were talking about we'd love to have some more uh, executive functioning or ADHD um, discussions. And um, the new NASP read uh, is uh, Troublemakers, which I actually read a while ago. So I'm excited for that one. I'm going to reread it. But it's a it's a great um, book about, um, you know, kind of behavior as communication and kids are doing the best they can and written by a teacher. Um, so I hope, I hope we can have a, a, a conversation about that. Maybe even we can entice the author to come on, which would be so cool. Um, yeah. And of course, as you all probably know, I love the counseling episode. So we're going to have some, 
some ACT episodes coming up in the near future. Um, the author of Stuff That's Loud, Ben Sedley, is coming on. So I am so excited for that. It's a um, self-help ACT book um, for teens uh, who struggle with OCD. And it's just, it's a wonderful book and a great resource if you know um, any young people who have um, OCD. It's a great, um, it's just a great book. It's, it's really easily, um, easy to understand and easy to read and so warm. Um, and so we have some ACT episodes. We have, uh, who else do we have coming up, Rachel? I know you just added them all. Yeah, um, I'm excited for our next one in 10 um, talking about um, progress monitoring, um, rate of improvement, how to know, you know, if what progress is expected or unexpected with Dr. Vander Hayden and Dr. Burns. So I was like, oh, they're, they're both so amazing. And to have them both on in the same episode, I think I'm just going to faint. It's, it's, it's right up my alley. I'm so, so happy. But as you were talking about that, all, all that too, Rebecca, um, and looking back at past episodes, I remember. Remember, we had a conversation um, at the start of, of going on this little podcast journey, and we wanted to. One of the things that we wanted to achieve was to kind of create a library of resources, right, that people could could scroll through and like, oh, I, I, I needed to learn about manifestation determinations. Okay, there's an episode on that, and so people could listen to that in their car ride or or on their run and things like that. And so, you know, as we're at the 150 mark, um, I feel like we've kind of done that. I think that we've we've done a good job. And uh, luckily, you know, I think we all kind of enjoy doing it. So I am hopeful that we'll continue to do that and kind of add to that library. Um, let me see who else was Oh, Dr. Harris in December is coming on to talk about like evidence based um, writing instruction and intervention and whatnot, a kind of a follow up from our previous um, podcast with Dr. Graham. So um, and the um, the model, um, what is SRSD uh, for, for writing instruction. So that'll be a good one. And uh, I've been in touch with Byron McClure. Um, I haven't scheduled yet, but he and Dr. Kelsey Reed uh, looks like they'll be available sometime this fall. So uh, to talk about their new book, um, Hacking Deficit Thinking. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, hopefully I'll reach out to them this week and hopefully we'll get that scheduled for uh, sometime over the next month or two. Yes, and uh, Dr. McClure is coming to um, my state association um, this fall to do um, to do a you know speaking. Um, so I'm I'm excited about that. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to go or not. I'm kind of looking at my schedule and, and figuring that out. But I, when I saw that he was the, the speaker, I was like, yay! It's <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> so. All right, we are after nine o'clock, but anything anything else we want to hit on? I feel like we've covered kind of a variety of topics, and this is a good kind of easing us back into uh, the game here of, of of podcasting. I feel like we've, uh, you know, it seems like a world away with now the COVID and all things so different. Like everything, it just time is weird. <laughs> so I feel like we haven't podcasted forever, but it's, it's like riding a bicycle. There you go. So anything else or, or any other comments? Um, let's see. Did we hit on everything, Eric, Rebecca? I think we did. Thank you to everyone that joined us tonight. And thank you for the congratulations. You know, I just want to reiterate, we, we always say to each other, and hopefully we've said it enough um, 
on uh, in our broadcast. But we're so grateful for um, all of you that tune in, that uh, listen on iTunes or Spotify or or watch the videos. It just means a lot to be part of a learning community. And um, it's been really, I know, um, wonderful for us. We've learned so much and we're just grateful for you all. So thank you. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye, everyone.